Whitney. I'm Danielle, and we are the founders of Sakara Life, on a mission to nourish your body and transform your life. Sakara is a Sanskrit word that describes the action of turning your thoughts into things and manifesting your reality. We believe that who we surround ourselves with, what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, the information that we take in, impacts the way we think and therefore who we are. The conversations that follow are with bold thinkers who have had an impact on how we view the world, ourselves, and what it means to live the Saqqara life. The intention of these conversations is to push each of us to greater heights so that we can turn our thoughts into things and all shine our light a little brighter. We are so excited to be on this journey with you. Welcome to the Saqqara life. Today we have Diego Perez on the podcast, which I am personally so excited about. He's a meditator, a writer. I call him a poet also. You probably know him best if you follow him on Instagram for his viral writings and poems under the pen name Young Pueblo. He's originally from Ecuador and spent most of his childhood in Boston, Massachusetts, where he began to develop an obsession with the idea of liberation. Starting as an activist at the age of 15, Diego has worked in nonprofit and radical organizing for decades. And at 24, he did his first 10 day Vipassana meditation course, which has shaped everything he believes and writes today. Through writing and speaking, Diego aims to support individuals in their ability to heal, knowing that when people liberate themselves from pain and suffering, it helps better the world and heal humanity. He just came out with his first book, Inward in 2017, and it's a beautiful compilation of some of his poems, quotes, and essays. So listen and open your hearts for this one. Enjoy. So we are so excited to have Diego Perez, mostly known as Young Pueblo, here with us today on the Sakara Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're excited. This is a really nice way to start today. (laughs) It is. Um, So we usually like to start off by talking about the why behind what you do. So we started Sakara really to solve a problem for ourselves and to help share what we discovered. Food completely changed our lives. Plants mm-hmm. as medicine completely changed our lives. And so we made it our mission to share that with as many people as possible. So we'd love to hear what is your mission in life? What is your mission here on earth? Um, that's a great question. I think my primary mission is to one there's two so one is individual which is the first one I think the most important mission is my own personal liberation meaning like coming out of as much conditioning as possible in this one lifetime so going as far as I can and developing my you know loving kindness my mental clarity inner peace um, all through the vehicle of Vipassana meditation so like that's the primary uh, goal I think the byproduct of that is young pueblo it's like understanding you know like i'm not a meditation teacher but i do like to write about things that i'm exploring inside of myself so i really think of myself more as as an explorer um even more so than a a writer or a speaker Mm -hmm. but that mission is really to try my best to make things that are useful for people and that help sort of people see the the common human experience because we all have very different histories but the way our minds are structured are the same, you know, like we were talking about, like the bodies just have a very similar structure. And oftentimes what's good for someone may be good for others as well. And there are definitely particular, you know, people are particular and whatnot, but um, really the goal is to make things that are useful for people. I love how you talk about the most important work we can do is the self work. Yeah. Can you expand on that a little and why you believe that to be true? Yeah, I think everything sort of, um, like I was saying before, everything isn't a byproduct or an externality of what's happening inside of you, um, especially with like your interpersonal relationships and how you're interacting with the world. So I come from a background of activism, and that really taught me that people are really powerful when they come together around a common cause. But in doing that work, I also saw that something was missing. Like I still personally did not feel good. And I saw that because I didn't feel good, I would sometimes slow down a team 
or make unnecessary mistakes or and what do you mean by not feeling good um a lot of sadness and anxiety Mm, i think those were the primary two things that um they would come in waves and sometimes in increasing stronger waves where they would just like take control of my actions and i end up doing things that i would regret and um it made me see that even though i was having a positive effect in the world by working with this organization um, I still felt that there was so much inside of me that was left untapped, that was like burdened and bundled up that really needed acknowledgement. Do you think you had the vocabulary and understanding at that time to say, oh, what I'm feeling right now is sadness or? No, absolutely. It took so long. I, I love that. Yeah. I literally did not know what was going on. I, I could feel tension, but I wouldn't even call it tension. I remember just feeling agitation. Um, but it wasn't until I started, when I did my first few Vipassana meditation courses, um, then I started seeing, I was like, oh, dude, you've been sad all along, you know? And even, even right up to the year before I did my first course, which was a big transformational year for me where I really, I stopped doing hard drugs. I started eating better. I started taking superfoods. I started, um, really like changing my like everyday habits that, combined with like a degree of radical honesty with myself started just opening up this bigger light and I started seeing that there was sadness and anxiety there but then the the sharper clarity definitely came later when I started meditating and all the you know vocabulary and whatnot yeah it's interesting that you were changing your inputs into your body too because like we said before food is information yeah drugs or information, mm-hmm. all of that was going into your body and changing your physical chemistry, your brain chemistry. And so you weren't really able to even be your true self in that state. No, was- I was so deeply burdened on all these, on the physical level, mental level. And I remember, so part of that heavy conditioning of sadness and anxiety, it took control of me to the point where I just became incredibly unhealthy like not only was I always trying to party and like drink and intoxicate myself in some way, I was also just like eating foods that were, you know, had immediate satisfaction and then I would feel terrible right after. And that continued to the point where I just became incredibly unhealthy. So I then, you know, I I felt like I was dying. So I knew. I was going to say, how do you get out of that? It's um, like a vicious cycle. I just like smashed against the wall. And the wall being the floor, I remember like laying on the ground and I was just, I felt like I was having a heart attack and I, it was like one night of like heavy drug use, not eating well, everything came together. I was just like, your body is falling apart. So I went, I stopped the heavy drugs that day. That was the summer of 2011. And I felt like, I was like, okay, I was like, let me do all the hard things because one, I was like, I don't want to die like this. You know, like Mm -hmm. I had come from like I have an immigrant background. I was born in Ecuador. My parents did so much for me and my brother and my sister to even have these opportunities that we have that I felt like I didn't want to let them down. I didn't want to let myself down. And I felt like I was so far from my potential that I was like, okay, I'm wasting time. So the feeling of horribleness, I think, really kind of arched things forward for me to start making these big changes. It's amazing how we have to hit rock bottom. <laughs> we hit our <laughs> rock bottom too. We, yeah, you know, Sakara was born out of us hitting our rock bottom what too. Year? I mean, it's like really 2009. Yeah. 2009, 2009 was rock bottom, yeah. but I would say the mission was really born in 2011. Like it took us yeah. that long awesome. to heal. Yeah. So we're kind of on the same path, same timeline. Yeah, 2011 no. was the year. I know, is that part of the human condition? Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, I'll be okay, I'll be okay, until you just like really yeah. hit rock bottom and then well, you're like, oh shit, yeah. I'm not okay. I think it's connected to this idea that working on ourself is selfish. Mm. And I want to get back to that question that I asked you because we kind of got um, on a tangent of like what it means, what where the self-work came from, mm-hmm. but now why? Like, what does it do for humanity? How can we feel like working on ourselves is the best thing we can offer others? Because I think that's still not what people think. Still, people still think that taking care of ourselves, we put ourselves last in line. Mm-hmm. And the only, you know, the only time I think people really feel like it's not selfish is when you're pregnant or dying or breastfeeding <laughs> dying. Yeah. or, yeah. or yeah. you hit rock bottom. Yeah. And yeah, so can you, you know, help us, like help us understand how, these doing these things and taking these actions to take care of ourselves and our yeah. mental well-being, our physical well-being, like how does that help humanity? 
I think it, we're, human beings are a lot more expansive than we really think, right? It's possible to be able to help yourself and still be an active member of your community, still have whatever you want to put your work into, your effort, your, your energy into, can still be something that at the very least does not harm other people. And I think when, and when you're not harming other people, then you're probably helping them. The most essential thing to me is absolutely you have to know yourself. You have to love yourself. You have to do this deconditioning, unbinding, understanding your patterns so that you can behave in ways that you actually find effective, that are nourishing to you and that support your inner peace. But I would say that time period where you have that deep focus on yourself, sometimes it does need to be just about you for a while, but it shouldn't eventually stay there because I think in real self-love, that opens a door to unconditional love, unconditional love to all beings, not just yourself, even to the people who have hurt you in the past, people that you've had a lot of struggles with. And it's quite interesting because I remember having that time period in myself where, okay, I'm working on my patterns, working on building new habits that are actually healthy. And I started finding a lot more love for myself. And in that, I was able to start behaving differently with people that I used to struggle with. Like my relationship with my parents improved so much relationship with my brother and sister, with my with my now wife, like all these things started reverberating outward. But it's really just so essential to understand that I really don't even think it's selfish. Honestly, it's a necessity. Like it would be foolish to be able to to, ju- to just focus on everything that's happening outside of you and never ever nourish yourself to the point where and nourishment is not just like food, right? It's like mental health. It's doing the things that you need to do to be happy and to be free. It's like, almost selfish to stay in that. In your shit. Yeah, in your shit and in your self-hate. and Totally, because you're just passing around tension. Right. Like, all you're doing is just like, this is my tension and I'm just going to multiply it, multiply it, multiply it. Yeah. But if you don't deal with it, like w- when you deal with your stuff, all you're doing is bringing more harmony to every environment that you're in. Exactly. And that's super important. But at the same time, like when I spent my time, I was like, okay, what can I do to help people potentially is like maybe writing can do something to support people. And I've seen it happen in a lot of ways. People go into activism or go into creating Saqqara or like go into, you know, creating things that nourish people in so many different ways, Mm -hmm. right? And that's one thing that I love to combine is understanding that like there have always been human beings who tried to make the world a better place in so many ways. But this is the first time in human history where globally we have access to tools, tools that can actually help you change your mental conditioning so that you can be happier and freer. And we can have those movement, movements happen at the same time, collective movements to make the world better and having a personal internal movement to make yourself feel better. Mm-hmm. And that'll make everything much more effective. And I feel like your your platform on Instagram is so powerful because there can be so many voices and stories and things on Instagram that can make people not feel great Mm -hmm. um but your your writings are like these daily pop-ups to remind I think to remind all of us of like the self-work like hey have you checked in here have you checked in there Mm -hmm. and I love how you talk about this idea of all we can offer is what we've worked on in ourselves and it's just so powerful yeah I think that's a good lead into. we'd love for you to read something for us sure let's see what, see what we got in here your book is called Inward. Yes, it's called Inward. Um, it's a book of poems and essays, and it's it took like three years to compile. And I think some people are finding it useful. It's good. It's like <laughs> success, you know. Well, this has been like a common topic in my life lately, and I think a lot more people have been thinking about this. But it's a very short little um, poem. It says, "Allow yourself to transform." as many times as you need to be fully happy and free. Mm. And to me, that that one is really about allowing your identity to be flexible. Um, It's, I remember growing up and so many people would pride themselves on, they would say, you know, I never change. Like I'm always, always the same. And it's like, that you know now I'm realizing like that kind of sucks like you know that's not yeah. that's not that great like yeah. we should allow ourselves to change and grow and to like be able to observe and release the past that was heavy within us and you know expand in ways that we find to be like you know actually supportive of other people and yourself 
Yeah, you talk a lot about attachment. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, that just sounds like we're attached to a version of ourselves. Yeah. Probably because it's more comfortable. It's mm-hmm. what we know. And sometimes, you know, or I, I guess always the unknown can be really scary. Um, Definitely. This idea of attachment, can you expand on that? And you talk a lot about attachments to versions of yourself, but then also external attachments Definitely. and relationships and things like that. Or even attachments to the the vision that you had for yourself, like your younger self envisioning what your life was going to be. I think a lot of people have an attachment to that. And when your life doesn't look like that, yeah. um, a lot of stress can come from that as well. Oh my goodness. Yeah. One thing I've learned is to like, just let go of like put in effort, you know, put in effort towards my aspirations, but heavy timelines, like, you know, this has to be done by this time, or I want to be like, you know, this free by this year or like this, I don't know, these different ways to measure success, but I just got to throw them out, out the window. And I found myself to be much more, to make much more progress when I don't have that tension of being like, this is the way it needs to get done in this manner constantly and being attached with like the mapping out the future how and more so just like allowing the process to unfold um, the way it needs to unfold, even with like my personal growth and with my just like Young Pueblo and all of the writing and stuff. Like I remember there were so many times where I wanted, I remember I tried to release Inward in like 2016 and then at early in the early half of 2017 and it just didn't happen because it just wasn't ready yet. And then I ended up releasing the self-published version much later on in um, I think it was November of 2017 and that's the time that it was ready. You know, but I had to just keep pushing it back. And I think having that understanding that attachment is literally wanting things to be a certain way, but even more than wanting, craving them to be a certain way. Because wanting and craving aren't necessarily the same thing. Like wanting is fine. You can find, you can have aspirations, you can have goals. But when those aspirations and goals are combined with stress and tension, they're filled with craving. And it's that craving that makes an attachment. And then you end up just like filling yourself up with so much stress and struggle and misery, really. But understanding that you can work in an intelligent way. You can work in a way where you don't have to make so much tension inside of your own mind actually helps you work more effectively, work more quickly, and um, feel much more rested. I love this. I obviously follow you on Instagram. Um, You and a million other people. (laughs) Yeah, I know. know. I'm not alone. Literally. Um, And I had this one saved, and I really love it. They asked her, what is real happiness? She answered, happiness is not fulfilling every pleasure Mm -hmm. or getting every outcome you desire. Happiness is being able to enjoy life with a peaceful mind that is not constantly craving for more. It is the inner peace that comes with embracing change. Yes. I love that. I'm so glad you connect with that one. Yeah, that one's um It's hard. I mean, this is really it's hard. Yeah. You're like you're talking like we're, you know, we're all about to be like the next Buddhas. You know, this stuff is like this is this is kind of the goal, right? This mm-hmm. is kind of the the north star, yeah. the guiding light. Um it's hard to get here. Like how do you get to a place in your mind at least? How do you get to this place where um you can embrace change and live with a peaceful mind? The same way we get into, you know, into places that aren't good is by repeating the same thing over and over again. So we can literally condition our minds, Mm. you know, through effort, through practices. And it just takes time. I think um, a lot of people, you know, we live in such a quick society that we want everything to just be so fast and done and like, okay, now I'm going to focus on my mental health and I'll, I'll be done with it in a week. Like, no way. You know, where it takes time, especially when you consider how you spent your entire life from the moment that you were a baby born into this world, just reacting, 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 spent so much of that time unconscious of how your patterns are affecting your daily behavior. And then to rework that, to start releasing that and moving in a different direction, it takes a lot of energy and consistency. But I try to write, you know, pieces like that. And I also want to mention like Um, some people ask me sometimes, like, why do I write things in the feminine, like write she and her and stuff? Well, when I started writing, I knew that I wanted to write pieces that 
almost felt like a character was speaking. Mm. And I knew that I'm like, okay, I'm a guy. And there's this long history of patriarchy in all of philosophy, all of history, all of, you know, um, spiritual scriptures, everything, right? It's totally embedded in our fabric of like human existence. So I do not want to continue that. And like Mm -hmm. in no way am I speaking for women at all. That's like really important. I always try to make that clear, but I'm trying to create just use the word she or her as the universal word as opposed to like, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, how you identify. It's just like she and then you see yourself in it. You know, For does being that make sense? Inclusive instead of how even in Spanish, the, mm-hmm. the masculine, you know, if you're talking about a group of students, it's in the mm-hmm. masculine form. Mm-hmm. Um, man. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> For all mankind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Man has been such the non-gender word. And so you're using... She right. and She's more just of a general word. And I, I um it's funny because when I at first I was like, okay, this is like a, a little bit of a weird thing to do, but I want to try it because like it this is at least better than just continuing patriarchy, right? Like absent mindedly just being like, okay, he, whatever, whatever. But there were examples of that from like five thousand years ago, from like the Tao De Ching. Like a lot of it was in she, or it would go back from she to he. And there was a balance there. So I was like, okay, dope. This isn't necessarily, you know, other people have also been mindful of this thousands of years ago too. So might as well continue trying. Yeah. Whereas I think a lot of women have been written out of the Bible or the Torah or, or, you know, whatever else. Mm -hmm. There was that book, The Red Tent, where she decided to tell the stories of the Bible from the female perspective. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been on my mind a lot about this, about women's voice throughout history. So I love that you're doing that. Totally, yeah. Are you reading the Mary Magdalene book, Whitney? That's on my list too. <laughs> That's <laughs> on my well. list too. Yeah. One day when you and I can read. Such yes. a poor excuse not to read is to say we're too busy, but nonetheless. Can somebody put it amazing. into Instagram tiles for us? <laughs> 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 or one daily, <laughs> just one little excerpt at a time. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. One thing I think your work does is... It, it kind of holds up this mirror, right? So that we can say like, oh, right, am, am I doing that? Am I mm-hmm. mindful there? Um, am I attached here? Mm-hmm. And a lot of your work focuses on the individual, but a lot also focuses on relationships. Yeah, there's been a big and, shift in the past year. Yeah. I've been writing more about relationships, which has been fun. Yeah and, yeah, and you talk a lot about finding somebody that you can heal with, mm-hmm. which I like. Can you tell us what you think that means? Um, I remember that that line came to me back in like 2016, maybe even 2015, like a long time ago when I first started writing. And it really came from thinking about my relationship with my wife. And then we were, I think it was right before we got married and we had really dedicated ourselves to meditating. And one of the big steps we did was we would go to retreats. And, you know, obviously you're in a retreat environment, so you're much more successful at practicing. But we were struggling with trying to bring that home and bringing that daily practice back home. So having a partner who was equally committed to, like, making this big change felt just like I was so supported. So to me, it doesn't necessarily need to be, like, an intimate romantic partner, but, like, a friend or something. And then also realizing, like, having the friends around me who – are also willing to do this work. It just gives you so much energy to be able to continue, you know, plowing forward, even though you may feel alone or you may feel like, you know, society isn't really with you. You at least have a few individuals who are willing to like take on this brave journey. I love, I love that that's how you expand on it because what it means is that your work can almost kind of transform into what somebody needs to hear because what I took away from that was, make sure you're willing to do the work to heal. Mm-hmm. And you probably chose a partner that's going to kick your ass in some way that's going <laughs> to, you know, that's going to trigger you or piss you uh, off. That's funny. And so just being aware that you have that need to heal there mm-hmm. and that they're triggering, you know, I, I just, I just have so many girlfriends, maybe a little less now. <laughs> um, but you know, in, in, kind of like growing up as a young woman here in New York City, I've met so many women that, you know, date, 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 date. And mm-hmm. I I never, I think neither of us ever had the, I don't know why I'm asking you. I know we were never on a dating app, but like we missed that whole frontier. Mm-hmm. Me too. Sometimes I'm kind of yeah. sad because it, it 
I don't know. It looks interesting. I feel like I missed a chapter in humanity. It looks but a little addictive. Though. I'm You're glad I missed Yeah, it. no, I'm not I'm that sad, but, it, you know. Yeah, yeah so I'm kind of sad. I, I guess I missed that chapter in history. But I guess what I saw was because people have, and I'm using air quotes, so many options and you mm-hmm. can just meet people with a click of a button, that people were looking for their one true love. And I think they thought it was supposed to be easy. It's like we grew up with this total misconception and I almost blame it on Disney Disney in Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways of you meet your prince and the hardest part is just getting your prince yeah but then once you do you know it's happily ever after and so what I saw in a lot of my friends was they would just dump boyfriends because as soon as it got got hard or you know sometimes people need to be dumped I'm not saying totally totally (laughs) anyone can (laughs) date anyone but um I I guess what I've learned in my marriage time and time again is that the healing comes from being faced with your shit and a lot of times that person holds up that mirror Mm -hmm. and they might know it they might not know it but it it asks you to work on your stuff and so that was my big takeaway of you know find somebody that you can heal with don't find somebody that you can just be bored with Mm -hmm. or be let it be easy with and somebody that you can transform with. When you were talking about this idea of transforming and transforming and transforming, yeah, yeah, that means that your partner has to like each version of your of your new self each right. time you transform, Ooh, like and vice that. versa. Yeah. yeah, and and that's a good. In a you got to quote that one. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> write that on an Instagram. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can borrow that one. We'll do that one together. <laughs> And, and in a lot of ways, you know, I've seen this in my own relationship. One of us will transform and it will force the other oh to transform. Yeah. And as long as you can both continue to transform, then the relationship can work. And if you get to a place where one transforms and they're saying transform with me yeah. and the other one won't transform, that's often when it's either, you know, like – you move up or you move out. Yeah, yeah, and you're making it sound like really lovely, this idea of transformation, but that's when it's real hard. Yeah. Well, sometimes you have to hit rock bottom. Yeah. That transformation like is usually shit. really hard. Yeah. Yeah. To transform because that back to that human condition, you know, we're like, well, yeah, whatever. I'll just brush this off. Eh, yeah. Maybe t- I'll deal with it tomorrow. And then until it really hits you in the face. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I think when, when I think back, so like my wife and I have been together for a long time. Um, she was 18 and I was 19 when we got together. Wow. And now You guys have transformed 32. a couple times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm 32 and she's about to be 31. Who we were then, it's like, it's like a whole other lifetime. Like mm-hmm. I don't even, that person who I was then and that person who she was then, those people are totally long gone. You know, they were nice people. They tried to, they tried their best, but- there was just so much conflict inside of us and that caused so much friction in our relationship that the first like four or five years before we even started, you know, before the idea of wellness was even around, um, we're just full of conflict and full of unintentional harm. That's one of my like new favorite phrases is like, it's so easy to unintentionally harm someone, you know, to just like do it by accident. Like you don't even know what you were saying and you don't know how they feel. So they react to it in a particular way. And then all of a sudden, boom, you have this like conflict in front of you. Oh, I can't wait till you have kids. And then you start writing about (laughs) (laughs) all this because with kids, it's so like talk about triggers. It's like, you know, I was saying I was up all night with my 18 month old last night and it's so hard not to be triggered by sleeplessness or like, why won't you just go to bed? There's just like triggers coming at you in every which direction. So I can't wait to read what kind of musings you have on self-reflection as a parent. We're thinking a lot about having kids. We're not sure when, but possibly in a few years. And um, I'm really excited for the opportunity of like total selflessness, you know, not even having a choice of what to watch on TV or anything because I I've, mean, my brothers had a bunch of kids and so many of our family members around us and I've seen that that's a massive struggle so it's I have so, so much respect real. for it that I've been so cautious around it like let me just take my time let me focus on my inner work right now and do and and you know like our because she's a scientist and I'm a writer so we're both like you know in the midst of our careers and all of that but yeah. soon it'll be it's time. so real I mean last night I was up with her 
She was up from well, like 11.45 until probably 3.15. And she wasn't grumpy or anything. She was actually really cute and giggly. She just wanted to chat. I wasn't. <laughs> Not cute and giggly. And I had a real moment of, you know, just like almost despair. It's like this, like sleeplessness can just, it just like fucks with your head so badly. And yeah. real torture. It's yeah. real, torture. real torture. And yeah. I just, I, you know, I was like sobbing on the floor holding her. And then something just snapped in my brain. And I was like, oh, you know what, this is, and I, and it's funny because I've told this story before and every time she has a rough night, I have to remind myself it's rough. It's so rough, but then something snaps in my brain. And if I just surrender and I just say, okay, I'm not going to try to put you to bed. I'm not going to be pissed that we're up. I'm just going to sit here with you because this is like, you're my kid and you're so little and so sweet. And this is not going to last forever. This is just a phase. And then, like, once I surrender into it, you guys are probably thinking I'm going to say she fell asleep. Mm -hmm. She did not. (laughs) But once I surrendered, I just, I I wasn't, yeah, we giggled. I read her a book. It wasn't so torturous. And so I I guess um, one of the things we talk a lot about in Saqqara is this idea of thoughts to things. And it's actually the meaning Mm -hmm. of Saqqara. So how our thoughts actually create our reality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, last night was such a perfect example. Like I was thinking to myself how tired I was going to be this morning for the podcast and, (laughs) you know, how exhausted I was going to be all day and bags under my eyes and I was never going to catch up and poor me. I'm just so tired all the time. And then I did feel torturous. Like I really did feel, you know, in some level of despair. And then once I changed my mind, my experience really changed. Absolutely. And so I know you you... you just have a different version of what you call thoughts to things, but like, can you expand on maybe how you believe our thoughts impact our reality all the time or words? Yeah. Yeah, And I know you did the silent retreat. And so we'd love to hear about that. Yeah. I think um, even more than words, like it's our, our intentions, like our, the, the intention behind the word or the action itself is what sort of reverberates outward into the universe and back. Because a lot of times we'll have like good intentions, but then, you know, they'll be misunderstood on the outside because someone else's emotion is like, you know, clouding the situation or whatnot. But there's something that um, the, my my meditation teacher, Essen Gwenka, who's passed away, he talks about in his 10-day course. And he says that there's mental pain and then there's actual physical pain. And, you know, physical pain is finite. It's like a certain amount, right? Like that that evening you were having, last night you were having a certain degree of discomfort that was absolutely physical, right? Your body wanted to sleep. But then there was mental pain and the mental pain could be compounded infinitely, right? You can just mm-hmm. make it poof, like so much bigger, so much larger than it really is. And then all of a sudden your pain that may be a seven is a 15. And you're just like feeling like you're excruciating when in reality, if you were able to like develop, you know, the mental clarity to be like, okay, this is the situation at the moment. I'm not going to distress, right? I do feel discomfort. Let's see how long it lasts. And because eventually it's over, you know, that's the thing. It's like, and that's one of the most essential things that I really try to put out there. And that's something that's helped me is just understanding that everything that's good eventually ends and everything that's bad eventually ends. And having that understanding of impermanence really helps you not be as attached to the good things or as attached to the bad things because we get really attached to the bad things by creating so much uh, like repulsion and fear and, you know, all these different ways of expressing dense aspects of ego. But um, in a big, big way, you know, how you perceive reality just creates your mental makeup, you know, because it's so true that some people do awful things to each other, right? But in that act at the end of the day, the way the mind works is that it's your perception that causes your mental reaction. And then it's that dense mental reaction that creates this big imprint that causes the trauma and whatnot in the body and the mind. But so this horrible thing is happening. That's a very terrible thing that happened, but it's the mind's perception that can amplify amplify and show to what degree because oftentimes, and I've felt this, you know, right, something terrible happens, but then how many times are you replaying it in your mind? How many times are you like, you know, over and over cycling this same, you know, movement of emotion to the point where it just becomes denser and denser and denser 
but understanding that like right we can't really erase our memories they're there but we can try to do the work to make them lessons make them moments where it's like okay this happened but now i can figure out how to make sure that doesn't happen again or what can i learn from this as opposed to it just being a memory that pops up and all of a sudden you feel the reaction and you're like recoiling away from it but it's it's there right that happened it's not happening any longer and how can i learn from it how do you even start to notice that inner dialogue you have to turn thoughts. the lens inward i think that's the first thing i did was i took i started taking barley grass and i started being honest with myself that was like <laughs> i remember like back when superfoods became a thing I was like, oh, yeah, I need some of that. And <laughs> I think barley grass was one of our <laughs> Yeah, that was first, one of our first ones. Right? Yeah. It was yeah. like a hot one back yeah. in like 2011. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that thing worked. Like I had so much more nutrition in my body than I did otherwise. And I remember I would like. And your bowels started working too. <laughs> my bowels started working. <laughs> exactly. Get that shit out of yeah. Mental clarity. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah. No, and it was it was amazing. And then, But I think that like little pinch of mental clarity helped me just start instead of like focusing okay where am I going to get my next hit of dopamine where am I like what party am I going to go to or what thing am I going to do next that I'm going to have so much momentary fun at it's like okay why am I looking for that what's happening like what are you running away from like in this moment why can you not sit still what's happening and that's when I started like slowly uncovering all that sadness and anxiety and noticing that I was like literally using my relationships like with my wife with my friends to just run away from myself I love that I love that switch of just really the first step is really just noticing what you're craving Mm -hmm. and then instead of going after it just asking yourself why yeah why why can't I just sit here yeah why do I feel like I need this instead of craving and wanting why can't I just be we talk a lot at Sakara about food as information, food as medicine. And even though I think a lot of clients come to us for weight loss, we don't really talk about it a lot mm. because it is a symptom, a positive symptom. It's a repercussion, a positive repercussion of taking care of yourself if mm. you need to lose weight. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of fear around food. And so a lot of times when people come to us for weight loss, they think we're just going to starve them. And I'm using air quotes um, because that's what they've been taught. (laughs) They've been conditioned to think that less calories means you'll lose weight. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of fear around, am I going to be hungry on your program? Am I going to, we get that question all the time. Am I going to be hungry on your program? And oftentimes we ask people to just, turn the mirror around and ask yourself, like, why do you have this fear around hunger? Why do you have this fear or this belief system that, you know, calories equal, you know, weight gain or weight loss? And oftentimes people don't want to go there. Like if we say, well, you know, most people are not hungry on our program, Mm -hmm. but if you are, maybe you need to eat more and we can guide you. You can work with one of our health coaches on that. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you need to sit with mm-hmm. that hunger, mm-hmm. not as a as a kind of function of starving yourself because we know you're getting all the nutrients if you're eating Saqqara, but as a function of self-reflection yeah. and saying like, am I using snacking or that afternoon latte or, you know, whatever it is as part of my coping mechanism? Right. Yeah, am I actually hungry or am I feeding a fear, feeding a pain, feeding a boredom, feeding a discomfort, whatever else it is? And people don't want to go there. Yeah, I mean, mean, that's that's a big one because it's like uh, it's easy to become sort of like by a lot, you know, like, right, you eat to live. Yeah. So it's one thing to like try to let go of an immaterial attachment, but the... The biggest one is like the plate in front of you. And we get so much pleasure from food. And we don't realize how much we're addicted to pleasure itself, to the sensation of pleasure in the body. Mm -hmm. That when we start examining that one, like that was one of the hardest ones to even come across. Because I remember when when I started doing longer retreats, when I started doing like 20 and 30 day courses, I would like that's when it hit me how much I was addicted to pleasure and how much that addiction to pleasure 
was so insidious, you know, because mm. pleasure is like fine. Just, we want to have a good time, totally fine. But there, are, it it's easily becomes extremes. It easily becomes like so embedded in the fabric of your mind that you don't realize how it just controls all of your decisions. It controls the way you like set up your life, the way you design everything, the way my relationships exist. And I don't want to be using my like friends and my wife and all the things around me just so that I can get pleasure. Totally. Right? And it's so fleeting. Oh, absolutely. And when we talk about, you know, food as medicine and changing your body, it's like, yeah, okay, maybe you'll have to change some habits and you're not grabbing for, you know, the slice of cheese pizza every day or whatever your things are. And so maybe there's some discomfort there because, you know, we're going to give you a Saqqara meal, which is very different than that. But the, the level of happiness that comes from building a body you feel so good in mm-hmm. is a pleasure that is not fleeting. It mm-hmm. is with you all the time and it helps you stand in your power. Mm-hmm. And, you know, why do we constantly make decisions that, that counter that? Like we're constantly making decisions that dim our lights, that take us out of our power for that, you know, fleeting pleasure. We're built for a short term short-term hits you know like I, I really think that that might even become come from sort of like a hunter-gatherer mind frame it's just like what can I get right now as opposed to later because you might not be around like later. survive one might more not day be a later. Yeah. yeah one more hour one more day yeah can I tell you a quick story yeah Please. so my wife and I I've been for most of the past years I've been either vegan or vegetarian but then my wife she was like I really want you to try this 10-day detox that um, Mark Hyman has. Uh-huh. And I did it. And it was like the first three days, like I didn't know how addicted I was to sugar. Yeah. I didn't even I don't even like eat like tons of candy or anything like that. But like it's in my, my grapes, like the grapes that I would eat at night, I'm like, oh wow, like I there's actually so much sugar in them that they're they're not really serving me, right? They're just like making me not feel that good. But when I started um, cutting all the sugar out and all the like um, the grains and it's just like it's a pretty serious detox. It just like resets your system. But the first two, three, three days were difficult. But then like the fourth and fifth and sixth day, like the explosion of energy that I had was wild. Like I would wake up and I'm just like I felt like I and I don't even really drink coffee. I felt like I had drank like two cups of coffee and I was just like ready to go and I felt so good, so clear and. My wife and I were we were the same. It was like we both felt this immense clarity that was just like unforeseen. Food is medicine. But it was it was and it was interesting because I did feel like I needed to eat less, but my body just became so much more efficient, and yeah. it was cool. So now I'm trying to like integrate that diet. Like even if I don't eat like that every single day, at least like three or four times a week, I'm eating like that, so that can like maintain some degree of that level of like effectiveness because yeah. it's pretty cool. We just that. had Mark on the podcast. It's one thing that I always think about is where did we get the idea that we're not supposed to feel good? I know. You know, we, <laughs> we walk around thinking like it's okay, just feeling okay. Yeah. And yeah. I think that comes mostly because a lot of times policy and, you know, community and mm-hmm. pop culture does not support healthy habits. So mm-hmm. we never really know what it feels like to feel really good. Yeah, um, You have to kind of really be the rogue individual to be constantly doing things that make you f- actually feel good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like where did we decide it was okay to just feel okay? I'm not sure, but it became like a massive like cultural norm. But that's one thing that I try to tell people because some of like we all have very different personal emotional histories right we've all traversed life in different ways so many different things have happened and some of us have really gone through serious traumas others of us not so much right but even if you haven't experienced very severe traumas you can absolutely be a little more happier a little less stress a little less tense you know a little less stuck on these narratives that you're creating in your mind so like Everyone could be like a little, you know, have a higher degree of well-being inside of yourself. And it's really for everyone. So when people are like, well, I don't really need to heal. But it's like, sure, you may not necessarily call it healing, but you can become a better version of yourself for sure. Because we're like, we're so imperfect that, you know, we have, we all have so much room for growth. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And where do you get 
kind of your inspiration when you write? Like, how do you, does it just come to you? Is it just a download or what is your process? Yeah, it's a mixture of things. It's um, sometimes it feels like a download. Like I'll just like get hit with, I feel like a lot of things, the, the mind is pretty expansive and in the subconscious, it's like things are always sort of working there and eventually something will just come and it it will be rather clear. Other times it'll be, more of a process like I'll ask myself like you know what have I been learning lately or what have, what has been sort of like in the air for me um, and other times it's conversations with my wife and we'll both have this like sort of back and forth like what have you been learning what have we been seeing like either as individuals or in our relationship that's been coming up and we'll have these not like long conversations but kind of quick like um, where it's like oh yeah this has been very clear lately and the a mixture of the three kind of creates all the work. Do you ever get writer's block? Yeah, all the time. It's awesome. It's, it's like, it's, <laughs> you have um, to dig deeper. Yeah, no, it, it used to be such a struggle before because I'm like, oh, I just want to like, create massive amounts of stuff. But realizing that if I just don't feel like writing or nothing's coming out, if I like really try to force it, it it's not that good. Yeah. You know, um, so just let it be, you know, instead focus on there's so many other areas of work, so many emails that need to be answered or just like read or meditate more or write, just focus on rejuvenation, like Mm -hmm. expecting constant creativity or constant burst in personal growth is like not, it's not smart, right? Because a lot of these things come in waves. So, and a lot of them, you know, you, especially with personal growth, you burst forward, you make some big changes, then you integrate, you like really take in these lessons, harden these habits so that they really are there. They become pillars of your life. And then you change more things. One thing I learned that was really useful was not trying to change everything at once. Like in the beginning, I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop drinking, I'm gonna stop doing this and that, I'm gonna start meditating two hours a day, and I'm gonna, you know, just change everything about my life. But it became so it was impossible. So yeah, yeah. what I've switched over to is like I'll literally spend a year like developing a habit so seriously. One of the first things was meditating two hours a day. I was like, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to worry about anything else. Like this is the primary thing. I'm going to make it strong. And then it became strong and it became sort of like, um, it just wasn't hard anymore to do. So then I switched over and was like, now I'm going to um, start eating better. And I remember for a year I practiced eating better. Now, right now I'm like, I have to go to the gym consistently and just focusing on making these like layering really strong habits and feeding them well and then they take care of you yeah and then it's like your life can look somewhat the same just changed a little bit Mm -hmm. instead of completely creating a whole new life which I think is hard to do yeah the total overhaul is not my favorite I'd rather like have small victories and they compound over time and they add up and then you have like you know now now it's like a lot easier for me to like meditate two hours every day I try to eat relatively well. Do you do? Do you break out. it up like one hour and mm-hmm. one hour? Yeah, one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening. See, I need to get there, guys. I'm the kind of person I'm like, just give me the full Monty. I want to do it all You're at once. All at once, like clean, uh-huh. like clean it all up. <laughs> yeah, together. Yeah, but I also really like change, so maybe that is born out of that. But on the opposite side of that, it like they don't feel like the big change then doesn't become habits because I have so much to do. And everything's changing that I can't actually form new habits. I'm just like catching up all the time. Yeah. Whitney, I, when he was talking about things moving around in the subconscious, I felt like I wanted you to read something from his book too. Oh, okay. Sure. Okay. Here you go. Reminder. You can love people and simultaneously not allow them to harm you. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Expand, expand. Wow. Wait, can you read it again? You can love people and simultaneously not allow them to harm you. Mm. Whitney and I are really focused on boundaries this year. Yeah. And I, I feel like... Us, yeah, you two and everyone. At, yeah. Like, it's <laughs> no, really no. cool being... Because, yeah, you, you two spend a lot of time online, too, and you can see the waves yeah. of, like, 2016, 2017, so much self-love. Yeah. And then, like, 2000. 17 to 18 it was a lot about letting go mm. and now so many people are talking about different practices that they're actually doing on a daily basis and boundaries yeah, yeah. and it's like when can you say no mm-hmm. you know as our business is growing 
there's 40,000 things in a day that that we could do. Yeah. And so our our kind of fallback has always been we just do it and we say, yes, if you need time with us, let's just grab time. And and now we're just getting to this place where if we don't draw boundaries, like we have nothing to give. Mm-hmm. And so this year we're really focused on it's okay to say no. It's okay to totally. to say, you know, I, I can't do that right and now. And you can still love them. I can still love them. They, they can, can still, still love you. Yeah. And the, the crazy thing is I think people love when you have boundaries. Yeah. yeah. I think I, I remember writing that one because a lot of people think of, like, if I'm going to love someone, then I'm going to allow them to hurt me. Mm. Right? Like, the two things are almost, like, embedded together. But in reality, like, no way. It does not need to be like that. You can love someone really well. And then when you notice that, you know, because you can, you can pour love into someone and if you find that there's so much tension or so much density that it's just not going anywhere, then it's totally fine to take a step back and take care of yourself because you don't, no one needs to be like a punching bag or anything like that. Yeah. And you can even show up for that person more and better mm-hmm. if you're taking care of yourself, if you're setting your own standards, if you're saying, this is how I need to be treated, this is how I want to be treated, Mm -hmm. and actually taking the time to visualize what does that look like for yourself? What does a good relationship for me look like? What does a good day at work look like? What does a good Mm -hmm. lifestyle look like? Mm -hmm. And start to think about it and start to write it down so that you can recognize it and you can communicate it to other people. And And structure it. mm -hmm. Yeah. And create those boundaries and create, yeah, that structure. Yeah. Something I'm definitely working on. 2020, the year of boundaries. (laughs) We'll let really you know architecting our time. You're making me think about 2021. I'm like, what's going to be? What's going to be the wave then? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all just going to like float off Earth, right? And because we're going to. It's like, funny. How much time do you like have? I don't know. Like, if we keep working on things at this level, I guess. Like, what would you say people were working on like 1967? Who like, knows? do you think? Do you believe in like consciousness progressing? Consciousness. Or progressing. I, I, I like, do you think we're the like, consciousness is higher now than it ever has been? Um, that's interesting. I wonder. There may have been periods where, like, during the time of the Buddha, there were a lot of people getting enlightened really fast. Mm. So, and there, and it was a pretty peaceful time as well. So, so we degressed, and then <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do. What I definitely see is rapid cultural evolution. I think with the advent of social media. It's literally become a tool for humanity to have a conversation with itself. So, so rapidly have we been able to have these like great developments like Black Lives Matter, the Me Too movement, like, you know, just like these things that would have been so much slower without the the rapidity, you know, the, the quickness of social media. And I really think humans are thinking together because it, it just amazes me how so many of us will consider and write about a particular topic, like a big idea, but we'll be coming at it from so many different perspectives and then just snowballs and continues growing to the point where we stumble upon another topic. Like seeing seeing that switch from, you know, people, so many people talking about self-love, like, is it real? How can I apply this in my daily life? And then understanding enough about self-love and understanding themselves to the point where they're like, I have things to let go of. And everybody sort of switched and was like, what is letting go? Is letting go possible? How can I do it? And we're like literally thinking together. So, so if you're creating your movement, then what is it? What is it called? If this is the next wave, you know, it was Black Lives Matter. It was Me Too. This is now the Young Pueblo revolution. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If like, I had one, I'd probably call it Inward. Inward. Um, I think we are served immensely by really understanding our inner dynamics, and it's really quite a beautiful process because when you understand okay this is how I used to create so much angst and agitation inside of myself then you're able to see it happening inside of others and when you're able to see it you can have much more compassion because you're like right like you and I we do have very different histories but the contents of our mind the structure of our mind is the same so you feel sadness I feel sadness you feel tension I feel tension but that growth and compassion 
it'll be huge, you know, because it, it needs to continue expanding. And it's funny because throughout history, it's easy for you to have compassion towards people that you have proximity to. And that's been that's been growing, you know, to people having love for their state or their nation. And now it's becoming that last stretch where it's becoming global and you can have compassion for people all across the world. Right. Global compassion for humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us where the name Young Pueblo came from. Yeah, sure. So Young Pueblo, it literally means young people. And when I started meditating, I, it really dawned on me that humanity as a whole, like humanity as a collective is very young. We have so much growing up to do. The same way that we have growing up to do as individuals, as a human collective, there are a lot of simple things that we don't yet know how to fully do. So when you think back to when we were in kindergarten and we like first entered school, our teachers were trying to teach us the simplest things, literally clean up after yourself, don't hit each other, tell the truth, be generally kind to one another. These like simple things that some of us may be able to do them as individuals, but as a human collective, we have not mastered these simple human attributes. We're in pre-K. We're in pre-K, yeah. And we're, and I think this century, because of a lot of our short-term thinking, um, we have some massive challenges ahead of us. And through, you know, like what we were talking about earlier, when we have that sort of like growing dense incubator that we're in and we feel that pressure, there is an opportunity for massive growth. And it's, you know, whether we want to step up to the challenge or not. And I really think that a lot of this, you know, more and more people taking their introspective practices more seriously, developing different avenues of wellness, it's helping people prepare to make these massive shifts that we need to be a gentler, kinder, more loving humanity so that we can all live well without directly or indirectly harming harming each other. Mm. And hopefully we all don't have to hit rock bottom together. I was going to say No, yeah. Thing. Yeah, I don't think <laughs> you necessarily need to hit rock bottom. Yeah. Yeah. But. No, <laughs> that we can all learn from our rock bottoms elsewhere in life and steer the ship and before. steer the ship and all all decide to go inward as a humanity so that we don't have to collectively hit rock bottom. Totally. Totally. That would be, that's, that's really, cause then there are so many people doing this work in their own ways. And when I created inward, I really wanted to like put, you know, that like extra drop in the ocean that's going to help sort of steer things hopefully in a better direction. Mm. So we'd love for you to give a light work exercise to our Sakar lights, our listeners, uh, some form of practice or challenge to put what we've talked about today or your work into practice in their own lives? I So I've been thinking about that. And the most, like the one that I have is so mundane and simple, but it's something that I'm like actively working on right now. And it's just at a minimum reading 20 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. Not on my phone, not like memes, you know, not like there's so something very, analog. <laughs> yeah, there's something very special about reading either from a book or listening to an audiobook or listening to a work that someone spent like a year plus creating. Because it's, you know, it's one thing to like get little bits and pieces of someone. It's another thing to have someone who's been like pouring over something for six months and a group of people have been working on it. So when you're actually reading a book, you're getting high level information. So and that's something that I've noticed. Like I do, med- I spend a lot of time meditating and I've read a lot in different periods of my life, but I, I'm trying to balance these things out so that part of my day includes at least 20 minutes of reading every day. So Love I would that. offer up that challenge, not memes, not yeah. like, you know, like real. Pull like, out a book. Yeah, pull out a book or paper, your nook or something, just like a real book that someone spent time making. Mm. I love that. All right, 20 I need minutes to, I a day. I need to do that light work. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do this challenge too, Danielle. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming today. Thank you today. both so much. Thank you. That was, such a lovely that conversation. Really Inspiring. Yeah. Thank you. Likewise. That was an incredible conversation with Young Pueblo. I've been following him for a while, but it was really powerful to get to meet him, one, and two, get to hear kind of his mission and why he started doing this and and how he doesn't just 
write words, but his his intention is to really make his words and thoughts useful for people and his followers. And here at Sakara, it's our mission to make things incredibly useful for people. And so today we'll get to hear an amazing Sakara story. This one is from Diana from Washington State. I'm feeling great. I also wanted to share my story and why I decided to try Sakara. I was treated for non-metastatic cancer on my lower leg two years ago, but recently found out the cancer was back and that I needed surgery this time. I did some research and found some pretty compelling evidence that a plant-based diet can quickly supercharge the immune system and make the body a very hostile environment for cancer cells. Perfect timing. I also knew this would be the perfect way to get the salty and sugary processed food out of my body to decrease inflammation and speed healing. I just had the second surgery this morning, and so far I'm amazed. No swelling at all, and I haven't had to take anything for pain. It is a relief not to have to worry about getting to the store right now and to know that I'm loading my body up with the nutrients it needs. I'm truly grateful that I found Sakara, and I hope to blow my doctor's mind when I go in to get the stitches removed in a few weeks. Thank you, Diana. We love to hear these stories keep sharing them with us. They're so motivating. I hope that they inspire you as much as they inspire us. If you have a Sakara story that you would like to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at sakarastories at sakaralife.com. That's S-A-K-A-R-A-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at sakaralife.com or send us a DM at sakaralife. Don't forget to hit subscribe for the Sakara Life podcast and share this episode with anyone you think needs to hear what we talked about today. And don't forget about the light work. It might feel a little hard, a little uncomfortable, but it's supposed to. The whole idea is that we lean into what's uncomfortable so we all get to shine our lights a little brighter. And we'll see you on the other side, Sakara Lights. This podcast was recorded live at Noya House in New York City.